Let's uh, start out with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we come before you as always uh, wanting to encounter you today uh, through your word, Father, uh, believing that it is the clearest revelation of who you are, of your love and your mercy, your compassion, your sovereignty, uh, even your wrath, Father. It, It shows us who you are, Lord, and so we want to encounter that today in the truth of your word. And Father, we just claim that it's the word that changes us. Uh, that it convicts our hearts of sin, it leads us to repentance and faith and to obedience and, and uh, into discipleship. And so, uh, Father, just pray for a, a filling of your spirit in this place to be able to hear your word, uh, to not just be hearers, but also to be doers of the word. That's uh, truly our, our heart's desire. So, uh, Father, we, uh, we not only ask that, but we expect that today because uh, it's your promises to us. We ask this in the name of your son. Amen. Uh, welcome to Red Sea again. Uh, we are in a, a series this year uh, where we're going to pretty much be walking through what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus. And, and Royce introduced this for the last two weeks. His first message was, what do you need to know to follow Jesus? And he laid out some of the foundations of what it means to, to follow Jesus and what do we need to believe to follow him. And then last week it was, how do we obey what Jesus told us to do? And, and Royce, in typical Royce Light fashion, laid us out with a nice little process to, to walk through. And home community was really helpful, the, the idea of, okay, we have this truth that God has given us. It's a command from the scriptures. We know what we're supposed to be doing, but most of us don't actually do those things. And we just believe that perceiving truth is the same as actually doing truth. And it's not. We have to have a, a plan. We have to have a process for, for uh, being obedient to what the Scripture calls us to do. And so he said the first step of that process is repentance of what we're not doing. The second step is faith, believing that God is going to empower us and equip us to do that. And then the third step is, is, the, is the step of obedience. What are you going to do? And in my home community this past week, we, we walked through some of those scenarios. And we said, what's a command that God's asking you to do or to be obedient to? What do you need to repent of? What's faith look like? And then what's your actual next step? And so we were able to bring some accountability to bear in the, in the lives of, of each other and, and what that's going to look like. Uh, and as a, as a church, this is going to be a year of, of doing so we have this framework that we use here at Red Sea that we've used over the last couple of years. Uh, it's who is God, what has he done, who are we, and what should we do? And, and we've been talking a lot about that framework, and we want that to be kind of the driving force of everything that, that we're doing. It's who is God, what has he done, who are we, and what should we do? So the last two years as a church, on Sunday mornings, we've talked about who God is and what he has done. We did that in walking through the book of Luke and Acts in 2012. And then in 2013, we did an overview of the Old Testament. We did the, the meta-narrative. Here's God's story that we get to be a part of. And it really landed in who is God and what has he done. And, and as elders, we felt like we kind of put God on display. Of Man, look at, look at the majesty of God. Look at his plan to bring about his son into this world. Well, now as we move into a season as a church of who are we and what should we do, that's really what we're going to be talking a lot, a lot about this year. Um, we're going we're gonna to start moving uh, past just hearing truth and start challenging you guys to being obedient to truth and to doing truth. So as elders, one of the things that we've said that we can be real tangible in is give you guys uh, something that you can take with you when you go home. And so the last couple of weeks, Royce has had a handout, and they're available at the Connect booth if you want to pick up his. And, and I have a handy-dandy one here uh, this week for you, and it's a personal or group discussion questions that you can take home after the message. And not just hear God's word, 
But then go home and, and really digest it and chew on it and think about what change is going to look like, what repentance looks like in your life. And you can also do it in home community. So if you uh, are, we would encourage you to, to be involved in a home community. If you're not, you can stop by our Connect booth on the way out. And they'll tell you about these groups of people that get together each week just to talk about what God's doing in their lives, to encourage one another, to, to love one another. What's up, Mark? Welcome, man. To, to love one another, and, uh, but also to be on mission together in a neighborhood and, and to serve one another in a neighborhood. So this is going to be available on the way out. If you haven't, haven't picked it up, uh, it's going to be by the table on the way out, and I would encourage you to do that. So as we move into this season of, of, of doing, right, as a church, as the elders are calling us to, to do things, we're going to walk through our Pathways discipleship model, and, and we're going to say, okay, this month we're talking about prayer. Here's kind of like these prayer assignments. Here's how we're going to pray this way. And then the month after that, we're going to talk about worship, and we're going to practice different types of worship. So it's not going to be just sitting and listening, but it's going to be a lot, of, a lot of doing and application. So the tendency is when we move in to start doing, we very quickly start doing out of our own strengths and out of our own abilities, not out of the gospel, right? We have a tendency to drift away from God, not toward God. And so when, when we start going out and, and, and start living out some of these things that the Bible has called us to, it's real easy for me to say, you know what, I'm not reading the Bible. I need to read the Bible, so I'm going to discipline myself to read the Bible. And I'm going to set up a plan to read the Bible, and I'm just going to read the Bible, Right? I mean, that's our natural tendency is to, is to do that. I'm going to make myself do this. Well, before you make yourself do anything, I believe that you need to have an encounter with God. And that encounter that you have with God, the encounter with truth and grace, is the motivation for you to then go out and do something. That's that step of repentance, the first step in the process, is, is you're repenting of not reading your Bible not because you know the Bible says that you should, but, but the Bible is the way that you connect with God and that you meet him and you experience grace in a way that you never have before, that your heart's open to like the beauty of God's plan and his plan for forgiveness, his plan for bringing Jesus. And when you approach the Bible, you're getting to like step into this intimate, beautiful relationship with Jesus and all that he's done in your life, right? That's what the Bible should be. It shouldn't be a task to check off the list. And there is a place for self-discipline. There's a place for a process, which we need. But we also need to meet God. And we meet God in the foundation of what the gospel is, the message, the good news of Jesus Christ. That comes in and it changes who you are. And it changes the way that you live your life. So as we go throughout this year, one of the things we're going to have to constantly do is go back to the gospel and go back to the gospel. We will never move past it. And I know that may be a little frustrating to hear because a lot of us would say, you know what, I got the gospel. You know, I got it down. You know, can we, can we move on to other things? I know that Jesus died for my sins. Can we just start moving on to more discipleship, more doing? And, we, and I'm just like, and I have to say, no, we have to go back to it. I had a, a, a situation happen in my life this week where I realized that there was a foundational truth of the gospel that hadn't sank into my life, uh, I was challenged by someone to extend um, an apology to uh, someone that I had offended. And, uh, and when I heard that, I naturally was like, Ugh. 
because I hadn't done anything wrong. Right? You guys ever been there? Uh, they were just offended at something that had happened. And my, 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 my sinful, natural tendency was, well, no, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm not going to apologize for something I haven't done, done wrong. There's a principle at stake here. They need to learn something. You know? That, that's me. Now, when I think about that, my reaction, and I think about God and what he did through Jesus Christ, is that what I see in the gospel? You know, God, who did nothing wrong, sent his son Jesus Christ to die for my sins of someone else. God could have very easily said, no, I'm not going to save them. That's their mess. They can clean that up on their own. That's not me. And so it, it reminded me of this foundational truth of God's word of extending forgiveness and extending mercy that I was not sinking into my heart and was not sanctifying me. So that was a good reminder for me why we never move past the gospel. Why as a church, I have to go back and I have to have my heart stirred again at, at the gospel and, and what it is and, and what it is doing. Um, also, uh, here in, in, in Red Sea, as we are a, a group of people from many different backgrounds, different personalities, different giftings, God has called us together to be a family, to live in community together. And that is incredibly difficult. It's so hard to be a family. It's easy to go to church on a Sunday morning, to pop in and to pop out and to live your own life the rest of the week. It's really hard to live the way that God called us to, uh, having, having an intimate relationship, being involved in one another's lives, sharing our possessions with one another, celebrating together. Uh, as God has called us to do this, as we walk through doing it, we're going to constantly be at conflict with one another, always. I mean, if you guys have been at Red Sea for a long time, looking at the, the Conants, been here for a long time, a lot of conflict, right? And at the heart of that, of that, of you guys being a part of this family and this, communi- this community had to have been the gospel just for you guys to last seven years at this church. And it's got to be that one thing that you constantly go back to and say, why am I here? Why am I a part of this? Why am I willing to be at peace with CJ when I don't like CJ? You know, and when, and when he did something to offend me, because at the heart of the gospel, Jesus Christ reconciled us to God, right? We were not at peace with God because of our sin. But he came to us and he reconciled us. That's my motivation for what I do. So I'm I'm trying to make this point here that the gospel has to be at the heart of what we do here as a church. And we have to know what the gospel is and to be able to articulate it clearly if we are going to effectively go out and bring anyone into the kingdom. And be able to articulate the gospel, we have to know what it is. So the question of of today's message is, uh, what is uh, the gospel? Uh, This week... I've been reading in, in, in just my personal devotion uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, and uh, 1 Corinthians is, a, is kind of a trippy read because uh, a, it's a messed up church. You know, it really is. If you want to feel good about your church, go read 1 Corinthians. They were very dysfunctional as a church. And Paul writes this letter to them in the New Testament. And he starts off, I mean, in the, in the, in the beginning of the letter in 1 Corinthians, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree... And therefore, be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarreling among you, my brothers. And the majority of the book of 1 Corinthians is Paul discipling them through all of their conflicts that they're having together as a group of people. And, uh, and, and, and it, gets, it gets pretty messy. He talks about 
Some of you are, are following Paul and Apollos. Some of you like this preacher. Some of you like this preacher and don't want to listen to the other one. You're, you're living vicariously through these different leaders. He, he addresses sexual immorality in the church and condemnation that's going on about sin inside the church. The believers are suing one another in the church. Uh, sexual immorality is rampant. Uh, one guy is having uh, uh, sexual relations with his mother-in-law. I mean, it's messy. It's, it's a messy church. Uh, and Paul then talks about all of their conflicts. Some of them believe that you should be married, and some believe that you shouldn't be married, and, and some believe that, that you can eat food that's offered to idols, and, and others say that, that you can't. And, and it just goes, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Women should cover their head and, while they're in the church, and, and uh, some people are eating too much at the Lord's Supper, and some people have these gifts, and they think they're the most important gifts, and other people have these gifts, and they speak in tongues, and they think that's the most important thing. It's conflict. It's, it's, it's the reality of being together. It's called church. It's hard. But Paul's going to walk through all of that stuff. He's going to disciple them. And then he's going to say, okay, here's, here's what I need you guys to focus on. As, as you're moving forward in community together, remember this. This is of first importance, right? And we're going to pick up here in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, and I'm going to read it uh, verses 1 through, through 2. And it's going to be up here on the screen. After, after discipling these people, after working through all these conflicts, all these quarrels, he says, Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. And then he's going to tell them what the gospel is in the next verse, which I'm going to get here in just a second. But he's going to say, remember the gospel that I preached to you. Remember, remember the, the truth, the foundation of what we're doing. And I need you to hold fast to that. When the, when the storms of life come, when there's conflict, when there's brokenness and sin and depravity, hold fast like a sailor in a storm to this truth of my word. That's going to be the thing that's going to allow you to withstand the, the test there. He says, so that you will not believe in vain. So that you won't just come in and be a part of this Jesus thing for a little bit and then just kind of go back into isolation. It's got to be the gospel. So what is the gospel? Paul's going to say here, check it out in verse 3. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So here's what's of first importance. Here's the gospel. You guys ready? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day, accordance with the scriptures, and on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he kind of goes on and on. That's the gospel that Paul lays out. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried, a real death, something that really happened. And then Jesus Christ raised him from the day, from the grave. That gospel message is the one driving force in this church and in everything that we do, from our relationship with God to our relationship with one another to our relationship with the community of Portland and of St. John's. That's the driving force behind what we're doing. I'm going to give you guys today a little broader definition of the gospel. And Paul lays out a really simple foundational gospel here. It's a, there's actually, a, 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 you can say the same thing with more words, and it's not that Paul didn't understand the gospel. If you read Romans 1 through 4, Paul knew the gospel. He had a pretty good grasp of the concept. But I have a working definition here that I actually uh, got from the guys out at Soma Communities. And, and the message here that I'm, that I'm going to be talking about 
um, is uh, influenced by a number of different sources. Uh, I don't ever want to try to claim somebody else's uh, thoughts, but D.A. Carson and the guys at Soma and Tim Keller has a, a book on the gospel centrality. Uh, those are all been real big influences for me. So if you guys read a lot of theologians, um, I'm going to use some of their words here because they, they're just uh, so much better at saying it than I am. So here's our working definition for the gospel. You guys ready? It's going to be up on the screen. It's going to be a mouthful. The gospel is the good news that God the Father came to rescue fallen mankind through repentance of sin and faith in the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ, for the creation's good and His glory as He brings about the eventual renewal of all creation through the power of the Holy Spirit. You guys get all that? Yeah, it's the gospel, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the heart of the... When you look at the bigger picture of what God is doing, that's, that's what the gospel is. Now, when we think about our definition of the gospel, if I was to poll you guys as the audience, you know, which I'm not going to do, what is the gospel... I wonder if our definition of what the gospel is would be a lot different from that, from that definition. As I've kind of thought about the culture here in Portland and, and, and here and where we live, uh, I believe that uh, a lot of different people believe the gospel is a bunch of different things. And, and here's a couple of examples of what the gospel is not. Um, some people, some Christians would believe the gospel is a, a narrow set of teachings about Jesus and his death and resurrection, which if rightly believed will kind of tip you into the kingdom of heaven. But then after that, it's the real work of discipleship and personal transformation that's, what, that's what's of most important. So, so the gospel is a set of beliefs that at one time you believe, you just say, okay, I believe that, but they are disconnected from this thing called discipleship and transformation that God's doing in our lives. And there are a lot of Christians that, that believe that. And, they, and, they, and all of their time and energy is spent on them trying to make themselves better people outside of, of the gospel message. And this is not the picture of the gospel that we see when we read the Bible. The gospel that takes us from, from uh, lostness and an alienation with God to, to a conversion, to then sanctification in our lives, to ultimately consummation with God, to a resurrected new body and a new heavens and a new earth. That's a bigger picture of the gospel, right? That's what it is. Others would believe that the, they identify the gospel with the first and second commandments, to love your neighbor as yourself. And these commandments are very important. Jesus said that, that the, 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 all the prophets and the writings hang on this commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? It's the greatest commandment, but it is not the gospel. It's a good, it's an amazing commandment. But we assume that that's the gospel, and I just have to do that. And it's not. It doesn't talk about Jesus, right? And Jesus' death and resurrection is at the heart of the gospel. A third option today is to treat the ethical teachings of Jesus as the gospel, right? Let's just, let's just read, the, let's just read the, the, first, the first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know, Paul was a chauvinist anyway. You know, we won't even read any of his stuff. The Old Testament, that happened a long time ago and is not important for us today. So we'll just read the Gospels. And there are a lot of churches that just read the Gospels. And all they try to do is, let's just do what the Gospels tell us to do. Let's just do what Jesus said to do here in the, in the, in the New Testament, in, in the Gospels. And I think what that view fails to see is that uh, in, the, in the first century church, it was not the, the Gospel of Mark or the gospel of Matthew, it was the gospel according to Mark. Or in other, in other words, it was the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark. 
He's just talking about Jesus and about what he, what he did. It's, it's much more than just the ethical teachings. It's about Jesus himself. And then a fourth view that I think is, is, is common here in Portland is a, is a tendency to assume the gospel and then to spend all of our time and energy talking about things that are most passionate to us. So we talk about politics and we talk about social justice and we talk about bioethics or we talk about the right and the left and, and all these different important topics. But we think that by talking about these and, and bringing people into our camp, then we're actually talking about the gospel and we're not. All you're doing is just attracting a group of people that like the same things that you like. And you're calling it a church and you're calling it the gospel. And it's not the gospel. So like I said, what is the gospel? It was that definition up there that, that we have and that, and that, Paul, that Paul lays out here. And, and I realize that when you, when, you, when you hear my definition of the gospel or, or uh, Soma's definition of the gospel that, that they had there, there should be a lot of questions when you hear that gospel that starts popping into your mind because it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty heavy, right? Uh, you should be asking yourself, who is God? Uh, why does creation, including me, need rescuing? Who is Jesus? What did he do on our behalf? How did that affect the rescue? How could it be on my behalf if it's for God's glory? How does death produce life? Can you put the definition up there? How does death produce life? What has fallen? How did that happen? What is sin? How is all of creation being rescued because one man dies on a cross 2,000 years ago? Those are the questions that that should start popping into our our mind. And those are really good questions because it forces us to wrestle with what is the gospel? so that we, can, that we can understand it. So I'm going to break the gospel down. I'm going to break that definition down into kind of two frameworks that will help you understand it. And it's been really helpful for me as kind of a visual person. Let's get the first one up there. Uh, gospel, gospel purpose is what we're going to call this one. God, man, Christ response. This shouldn't be new. We've talked about this as a church before for, for years. This is a framework to be able to explain the gospel. So you can take that sentence that I gave you, that definition of the gospel, if you don't want to memorize it, which most of us don't. I didn't even memorize it. Um, and this can help you explain that same definition with these four, these, four, these four aspects. There's God, there's man, there's Christ, and there's a response. So we'll start with God, right? Here's the gospel. God is holy. Righteous, just, good, infinite, eternal, all-powerful, creator of everything, right? Good mental picture of God? Okay, that's who God is. Man, he's sinful, fallen, enslaved, broken, captive, finite, limited, dead, having chosen self, rule over submission and relationship with God. The penalty for sin of idolatry and unbelief is eternal death. That's us in the gospel. That's our place in this gospel. Then there's Christ. God's only son incarnate as now a killable human being who dies as a substitute for the penalty of human sin against God. And then response. And this is what Royce has been talking about over the last couple of weeks. The gospel invitation comes in the form of a command. Right? As we hear the truth, Jesus said, repent and believe. By faith in what Jesus did, not by any effort of our own, We are forgiven and saved from the consequences of sin. That's the gospel. That's what it is. And we have to constantly be coming back to that as a church and to hang on to that gospel. Here's another way that I I read about. Um, On your way out the door to the left, we have some uh, um, boxes built into the wall with some books and some resources. We have a book there called What is the Gospel by by a a guy named uh, Gilbert. And uh, 
please, if you are struggling with this concept of the gospel or you would like to better articulate the gospel, grab that book on the way out the door. It's free from Red Sea. I would love for you guys to have a copy. It's a, a real small book, less than 100 pages, and read it. Uh, and this is the, the definition in there. It says, uh, of, of this same thing, God created life and all, all things good. Man sinned and incurred the consequence of death for that rebellion. Sin turned the story upside down. Now man is at the center rather than God. Man, as a result, lived under the dominion of sin, living for the fame of glory of self and not God. God came in Christ to break the curse by absorbing the wrath of sin in his own body. That's the gospel. That's the gospel message. Therefore, in Christ, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from its effect on us. And we will be saved from its eternal consequences because of God's power, not our own. So many of the definitions that I shared with you guys earlier... It depended on us doing something in our own strength and our own ability. If it depends on you, it's not the gospel. And it's not going to lead you to God. Um, so that's, our, that's kind of our, our, our working definition of the gospel and this framework. So one of, the, one of the things that I've challenged you guys to do this week, when you go home or when you're in home community, can you explain that? If I said, Julian, explain to me God, man, Christ response. Could you articulate the gospel clearly? Because you need to, be, need to be able to. And there's many passages of scripture that you can use to do this. Uh, in, in, in Ephesians 2, you could use. You can use the 1 Corinthians 15 passage. You can use the Romans 1 through 4. But this is something that I think is real tangible. That's, gospel, that's a biblical center that we could use as a church to, to further articulate the gospel. Now, if that's the purpose of the gospel, how does it actually work? How does it change us? If we're in community together, what does that have to do with me sinning against Beverly? And she moved into our basement downstairs, so there's going to be a lot of sin going on, you know? And how are we going to live in community together, Beverly? How is this gospel thing going to work in, 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 in our lives? I want to give you guys another framework here that, that, I, that I want you to learn. I'm going to put this up on the screen. And we talked about this one before. I'm sorry, it's not that one. <laughs> it's the uh, Christ, the uh, Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. There it is. Uh, so here is how, here's the, the, the power of the gospel. If the other one was the purpose of the gospel, here's the power. Here's how it actually works. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. That's how God is using the good news of Jesus Christ to redeem all things to himself. So because of the fall, right, relationship with God was lost and creation was subject to the fall. All creation groans to be set free from the devastating effects of sin. In the gospel, relationship with God is restored and eventually the whole world will be, rene- will be renewed. All things and all creation will be made new. The curse will be lifted and all creation for the rest of time will sing the praises of their rescuer and their redeemer, right? God created the world. He made it beautiful, perfect. He created us as his image bearers with all of our unique, wonderful abilities and creative giftings. We destroyed that in trying to dethrone God. There was a fall, so then beauty and creation were broken. It was, everything was distorted. We distort everything in this world. But God, through Jesus Christ, redeemed that through coming to this world and dying for our sins. And he, God is now restoring all of creation through Jesus Christ. And one day Jesus will return and there will be a new heavens and there will be a new earth. So that framework works on a big scale, but I want to let you guys know it also works in your lives as individuals. 
So how, how is the power of the gospel applied to me? Jesus helped clarify how we accomplish the purpose of the gospel by giving us his mission, go and make disciples, right? God sends us out in Matthew 28, 19, and he sends us into all areas of politics and art and culture and our relationships and our family, and he calls us to fill the world with the message of Jesus Christ. Disciples living forgiven lives, displaying the beauty under the reign of King Jesus and bringing about his gospel work of restoration around them. The earth is being filled with his glory. That's how the gospel works in restoring all things through us. So hang on here. Don't, don't, let, me, don't let me lose you here. I know it's kind of wordy. Um, this, this framework that, that God is, is using the gospel to restore the world back to himself, right? But it also is very personal on a very intimate level. As I believe that as Jesus Christ sends me out as his disciple, he calls me, he saves me, right? And he, and he sends me out. So in my life, there was a creation. I was born. There was a fall, a time in my life when I realized that I was separated from God because of my sin. It was nothing on God's part. It was all me. I had to repent of that sin, believing that Jesus Christ came to die for me. At that point, my life was restored, and I was given a new purpose to live, living under God's command and living under God's rule. So I was saved. I'm being saved throughout my life in this process we call sanctification, and I will be saved when I get to heaven to be with Jesus Christ. That happens in my, that's my story in God's larger story. But also on a very intimate level, the gospel is shaping me. It's discipling me, right? As Jesus sends me out. So my relationship with my wife has a beginning. It has a creation, right? Got to get this right. March 15, 2003. <laughs> um, don't forget that date, guys. We were married. Honey, how long did it take before there was a fall in our marriage? You know? The honeymoon? Probably, you know, we have this weird honeymoon story, which I'm not going to share, but uh, we were both sick. It was miserable. <laughs> it really was. Um, it didn't take long for me to mess up my marriage, you know, it didn't. But because of what Jesus did in the gospel, the message of what Jesus did, he restored my marriage through repentance and forgiveness when I look at my, my wife, or I say this, when my wife looks at me and she says, you know what, you're not a very good husband, but Jesus, he really is. You know, Jesus was the perfect husband. He, 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 was, he, he even gave his body for us, the bride. And so then my wife can forgive me because of what Jesus did. And I can forgive my wife when she sins against me. And I can have this model for a loving relationship that I see in Jesus Christ. So my marriage is then redeemed through Jesus. And he restores it as we search, as we follow God. He is restoring our marriage and he is using it to constantly sanctify us and to point out sin in our lives, to lead us to him and, and repentance again, to, to be at conflict with one another and to resolve those conflicts through the gospel to have an even greater loving relationship. This is how the gospel works in, in every aspect of your life. So pull up our pathways diagram. As a church, we have said, go and make disciples. I'm so Jesus has said, go and make disciples. But we wanted to be really, really tangible with what that looked like. Because it's, very, it's, it's a, a great challenge to spend the rest of your life being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So we clarified and we came up with this diagram. 
And we said, hey, this is what it looks like to be a disciple. We have these identities that, that drive us, that come out of the gospel. And here's these different areas of your life, you individually and us corporately. So this diagram is on the wall on the way out. So if you're interested in it, there's a handout you can grab. It's on the top shelf and explains what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And all of these areas of life, okay, go back to creation, fall, redemption, restoration. In all of these areas of discipleship, you are doing this on a regular basis. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. It's always happening, right? God has called us in the, in the Pathways graphic to be a family together. One of our pathways is peacemakers because we are always going to be at conflict with one another. I am always going to be sinning against you guys, right? We're a family. God brought us together as a church. But we are fallen, sinful, broken people trying to live intimately in relationship together, which is really hard. But because of Jesus Christ and what he did in forgiving us and reconciling us to God. Remember, like at the ministry of reconciliation, what Jesus did for us, he has called us to do with one another. And so then God redeems our conflicts. He, he, there's redemption that comes to our conflicts through forgiveness. And there's a strengthening of our relationships. And then there's a restoration and we pursue on and we, and we move forward in this command that God has called us to. So it's personal in my life. It's in community. And it's also what God is doing on a larger level. This is how the gospel works. We just need to see the gospel working in this way. We have to start looking for it. Every time you have a, a, a challenge in your life, when you have a sin in your life, you can come back to this framework. And come back to the truth of the gospel and, and your, your relationship as a sinner and God's relationship as being perfect, holy, just. Jesus as the sacrifice, right? And our response to, to forgiveness. And I think it's really important that we have both of these perspectives, that we understand how the gospel works, we understand its purpose, we also understand its power. Because if we focus only on what the gospel is, but do not connect it to what it does, we will tend toward a ministry that's about saving individuals from hell, but it's disconnected from the greater story of God's glory and redeeming all of creation, right? It's just about me. It's just about me not going to hell, you know? It's, it's a larger story of what God's doing. In that case, we tend to make the gospel man-centered, and it's all about us. If we only focus on what the gospel does, disconnected from its purposes, we will push for kingdom ethics, which is that one of those points I talked about, without the king's power. We will have a form of godliness, but deny its power. We'll, we'll be living in the kingdom of God. Living in the kingdom of God will look like performing good works and acts of service and fighting for social justice. We see that a lot in our city, don't we? We'll believe that it's up to us to change the world and we, and we become more acceptable and significant to God by doing it. The more social justice I do, the more, the more God loves me, the more I'm doing what I should be doing. And once again, in, in, in this case, the mission of the gospel is now dependent on us to do something, right? When we see this all around us, the gospel is much more than simply an individualistic ticket for you to escape hell and it's much more than just doing social justice. The gospel is the work of cosmic redemption planned by God the Creator, accomplished through God the Son, applied by God the Spirit, and spread through God's people, the church, to bring about the final consummation of the renewal of, of creation and all things that God made. That's what we're doing here. That's what God is doing through us as His church. 
And, and you guys need to see yourselves in the, the amazing role that God is using each of us in to redeem the world. The people of God, we are the church. We then become an, this alternate city within the city to display a foretaste of what it's going to want, what look like to one day live in God's city with him. We are this, uh, this kingdom inside of God's, we're a part of God's kingdom inside of this larger world. And we are, through us, God is on display for all the world to see. And if we don't get the gospel and understand how it works in our lives, we will not show the world an accurate display of Jesus. And we will lead people straight to the gates of hell through all of our actions and all of our abilities and our gifts and our talents if we're not doing it because of the gospel. The church is God's people saved by God's power for God's purposes. Amen? So we're going to actually practice doing this right here. We're going to come and we are going to break bread as a church. There's tables on either side. During our, during our worship time. And we're going to remember once again what the gospel is. What Paul said that Jesus Christ came and he died for sinful humanity for me. And that he was buried and Jesus Christ redeemed him out of the, God redeemed him out of the grave. And he restored him, right? In, in heaven, Jesus is now glorified sitting at, his, at the right hand of the Father. That's what we remember every time we come, when we come to this table, is we remember the, the message of the gospel. And then we leave this place with that message, and we go back into our communities, and we go back into our jobs and our families and our, our personal lives, and we take this gospel and we let it constantly wash over us, and we speak the gospel into our own life. And we say, okay, what, what aspects of this gospel am I not believing? Why am I always angry? Why am I anxious? You know? It's because there's an aspect of the gospel I'm not believing. And then we go into community. In those areas that we don't see very well, other people point them out to us. And we're, we're even greater sanctified through the work of the gospel in our lives. And we go out into the world and we represent this kingdom that we're a part of. And we, we, kind, of, we kind of reflect this gospel into everyone that we encounter. That's our purpose. That's why, that's why we're here. And that's what we're going to do this entire year. So I just really wanted to, to, to really let that sink in this week. As a church, as we get more into more tangible, specific acts of discipleship this year, and as you're challenged to do that, remember your motivation for doing it. It's not for self. It's for the glory of God. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you um, <coughs> thanking you for Jesus Christ. Uh, God, we were separated from you, Father. There's nothing in myself that I could do to bring myself back to you. But through Jesus Christ, you redeemed me. You redeemed all of my gifts and abilities, Father. You redeemed my, my personality. Father, you redeemed my marriage and my kids and my job. And now you're using it for your glory, Father. And I pray that as we come to the tables now, that, that your truth would just sink into our hearts and it would change us and and we would go back and we would examine our lives. You tell us to do that, Father, to examine areas of our lives, to repent of unbelief, to turn away from certain things and to turn towards you. And Father, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit to be able to, to be obedient. We don't want to just hear a message and we don't want to just nod our heads. Father, we want to be obedient and we need your Spirit to do that. And you, you said, Father, you said you'd send us the Helper. And we believe that the helper has come and it equips us to live this life for your glory and for your name.
We thank you for that, Father. We ask it in the name of your Son. Amen.